Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. My guest today is with Venetia Lamana. She is a broadcaster, slow fashion campaigner and the co-founder of Remember Who Made Them, which is a six-part podcast series, digital campaign and fundraiser, which aims to help energise a new solidarity with garment workers and the economy in fashion. She is the creator of the brilliant podcast Talking Taste Buds, a series about food, well-being and the planet. I went on the podcast a while back and it was very fun to do it, so I'm glad she's coming on mine now. She is a sustainability ambassador for The Body Shop and she's just such a brilliant voice in this space talking about fashion, climate change and basically how we can all do our bit to make things better. In the first half of this episode, we talk about her work in the slow fashion space and how she has gone from TV presenter to activist. And the second half is about how Venetia ditches her phone every weekend for the whole weekend. And I just found it really inspiring and practical hearing all about how she makes time for being internet free. I hope you enjoyed this one. If you did, please go and leave a little review. It really helps. And I hope you enjoy the conversation with Venetia. So I'm very, very thrilled to be joined by the lovely Venetia. We wanted to do this in person and I had so much fun on Talking Taste Buds. I thought we would turn the tables, but we're still doing it. You're still here and I get to see your lovely face. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Emma. I've been so excited about this. You know how much I adore your podcast and how much it's impacted me over the years. So I just feel very, very honoured to be here. Oh, thank you so much. And your work is really, really impacting me as well in many different ways. So I can't wait to dig into all of that. You're doing brilliant stuff in uh, just making us all better people, basically. Um, But before we go into all of that, I wanted to ask you a bit about how it all began because I feel like a lot of us have been in this industry for a while now and we like broke in did our thing and now we're we're sort of like finding our lane and following our path and carving out our, our niches but you did you start in tv presenting was that what you did first I, yeah I actually started um I started in tv I started in tv production so while I was at university, I got really kind of heavily involved with the TV and radio societies and just fell in love. Um, and so spent kind of all of my time, um, you know, hounding various TV and production companies, just knew that was the industry that I wanted to get into. Um, so spent lots of kind of summer holidays and things like that, doing lots of running and work experience. And uh, yeah, found myself a an amazing job at MTV where I worked on MTV News for about two and a half years. Um, and the beauty of it was, was that it, MTV News was just a very, very short kind of two minute bulletin that we produced every day. But because it was such a short, quick turnaround, small production, I got to learn how to do kind of everything when it came to production. So mm-hmm. filming, uh, script writing, editing, and then I shot lots of red carpets. I did interviews with film junkets, just amazing opportunities. Um, and I think my first, I did my first kind of big interview uh, within the first month of being an intern there. 
and it was with Cameron Diaz and Colin Firth. And I was like, what is this life? And I don't think at the time I realized just how incredible that job was. I mean, it was just the best and I still have best friends from it. But I worked with presenters every day. So kind of learned from them. And then um, I was freelance for a bit as a producer. And then a friend was working at Channel 4 and they had an opening for a TV presenter he put me forward I screen tested and I think thanks to the likes of people like Laura Whitmore I kind of knew enough and yeah started presenting which I really really loved but it was a whole being on camera was just a whole other whole other pressure that I'd not experienced before did a daily live show for about a year and then started hosting more kind of digital content for um, a big big food platform called um called tastemade and then launched my own social media platform started a podcast i mean i'm kind of making it sound like it all happened quite quickly this was over quite a long Mm. quite a few years um but yeah just i i mean i still feel like i'm kind of figuring it all out but yeah background is in tv and it was it was just the best like i loved working in tv i mean it all makes sense because I love watching you on camera. You are so brilliant at it. And I don't think we all are naturally. And I feel like it's such a skill that sometimes people gloss over and don't really notice as a skill. I think it needs to be given credit because you're kind, like when I'm watching on YouTube, I feel like I am watching something like energetic, entertaining, informative. And that's something you've obviously learned over the years. But actually, a friend of mine was like, oh, I did an Instagram story video the other day. God, it's bloody hard work, isn't it? (laughs) Fiddling around, recording it, uploading it. And I'm like, yeah, it is. It's almost a job for some people. But I wondered if you could talk about that a little bit, because your Instagram at the moment is full of really great stuff. And you're putting lots of time into the content, it seems. Yeah, it's it's actually really funny you say that, because I had... A friend contacted me this morning whose brother has just got um, a new job and he needs to know how to do more social media stuff. And he was like, he was just what she was like, he was just wondering if he could take you for a coffee and and pick your brains. And I was like, okay. Um, I'm kind of, yeah, I mean, social media is my full-time job now. And um, I try to make sure that everything I put out there is giving people something whether that's information whether that is a recipe whether that's a call to action um i really really try and give a lot and put a lot into it for sure um and i think my the skills that i learned in tv have definitely helped that so um if you have ever watched my youtube channel you will know that it's quite fast paced and that's cuz i know that time is of the essence when it comes to content so i delete all my ums and I delete any kind of big inhales and I do the same with my Instagram stories and yeah I think I mean actually for me I actually try and kind of I know I can go too heavily into the presenting the presenter style um like when it comes to my Instagram stories I know that I present quite heavily and that's because of my background and sometimes I have to tone that down um but yeah I I just kind of I just try and put 100% into everything that I do and I know that 
our attention is, you know, so important when it comes to social media, right? That's what the apps are selling. It's not, you know, it's, it's our attention is the, is the, is the product. And so I'm just trying to keep people's attention. So whether that's with, you know, a great filter on a recipe video, or it's me, um, trying to sound as slick as I can and get as much information into 15 seconds as I can, then I'll do it. So yeah, it's just, I guess I'm just trying to play the game in the best way that I can. Yes, I know what you mean. And you do it so brilliantly. I I wanted to ask you quickly, actually, about how you think things might have changed recently with the word influencer, because I feel like what you do, like you are influencing a lot of people in, in a good way to make maybe different choices. Do you feel like you like the word? What's your relationship with it? That's a really good question, because it's definitely a word that I kind of weaponize against others sometimes, even though I know that it's a good word to describe what I do as well. So, and I think that's kind of what's wrong with it is it's an umbrella term for so many different people doing so many different things. For me, I don't want my thing as an influencer to just be telling people to buy stuff that they don't necessarily need and the reality of influencing uh, in this kind of capitalist society is that a major- the majority of what a lot of influencers do is just sell stuff and that's absolutely not what I want to be doing it's a part of what I what I do because this is the system that we're in I need to make a living but I also want to be influencing people in a way that they learn something or they action something I don't hate the word if people want to describe me as an influencer that's fine um i think it's more the association that comes with it and Mm. i know that i do a a very different kind of work to i don't know perhaps a love island contestant who's also called an influencer um no shade on them and and i and actually it's, it's also interesting that you bring it up because i really try my work inherently might throw shade on what some influencers do you know in terms of uh, when I talk about fashion and fast fashion a lot of influencers work with fast fashion brands but I'm actually not calling out the individual influencers themselves I'm asking people to think about the system as a whole like instead of if, if someone saw me calling out a fast fashion brand and they'd recently seen an influencer working with that fast fashion brand I don't want that individual to go and call out the influencer I want them instead to spend that time calling out the brand and asking the brand to do better Mm. and I really like that about your content because you it's always um calling out the big big corporation calling out uh the policies that aren't there calling out you know big scale issues which is so brilliant and so not brave but just courageous in the attempts to be like actually guys this is so huge but we can do something all of us on an individual basis even if it feels small and I think that's why it's good as well because I guess some people would feel maybe like oh god am I being called out if I'm buying some cheap clothes because I can't afford something else but it's not really about the individual it's more about calling out the bigger people 100% 100% and this is something that I've had to learn as well like I'm still unpacking all of this and I'm still unlearning so much of it but actually my kind of 
everything that we do as individuals has an impact. And if we want to make, in inverted commas, more ethical, conscious choices, that is inherently linked to our various layers of privilege. I am able to shop secondhand because I have the time to shop secondhand and I also have the money to shop secondhand. I can afford vintage clothing, which is generally way more expensive than it should be. You know, I know how much privilege ties into me making all of my choices. And actually it's not, we don't really need loads of ethical consumers right now. That's not what we need. What we need is for perhaps this ethical consumption that we're all thinking about and all learning to lead to a greater understanding of this system. Because, Emma, I have liked to think I've been an ethical consumer for quite a while. I've made some of these connections and I've been making little positive changes in my life, whether that's reducing plastic, whether that is um, being more plant-based, all of these things. Actually, what did we see this year in 2020 with the pandemic? The pandemic happened and lots of huge fashion brands cancelled orders um, for clothing that had already been produced in countries like Bangladesh. What happened to those workers? They haven't been paid. Their lives have been put in real jeopardy. So what what had my ethical consumption been doing? Nothing. So positive changes are really really important if they lead to this wider understanding and that's kind of what I'm getting at is why you don't see me doing ethical brand compilations because I don't want people to think that it's it's a really hard one as an individual I sometimes feel really good about the ethical choices that I buy right like I feel good when I buy something from an ethical business or a black owned business but really we want people to kind of unravel the system and think about the system that's what I'm kind of like edging at now yes oh my god I love this um it's it's so on point and I mean obviously I'm (laughs) nodding along not being perfect myself at all big disclaimer obviously but I think what's so great about it is you're just opening our eyes that little bit wider to a what's going on outside of what we can just see in our daily lives like what's going on in those warehouses where people are suffering, but also kind of drawing our attention to the fact that like, are we just buying other stuff that is labeled and packaged as like ethical or why don't you buy a new toothbrush? It's made of wood. When actually you've already got a toothbrush and you're buying like three more, that's the stuff that is really interesting to me and how so many brands are now trying to piggyback on things, not because they care, but because they want to sell more stuff. Exactly. And it's something that as a kind of eco-conscious influencer, I have to be so, so wary of um, because I don't just want to start flogging all of the new stuff exactly like you say, that's just packaged differently. It's something that I am hyper hyper aware of and to be honest it's it's something something that's kind of been very beneficial for me this year is this year has taught me more about the system change that we need and it's actually taught me to go easier on myself so there was a time where I was guilt tripping myself so much that I wasn't even buying yogurt because it came in packaging or baby spinach because it came in packaging like what I was giving myself the hardest time when actually what was me not buying a packet of bagged spinach that week actually doing in the grand scheme of things so I found this year a really really big release because I'm not being so hard on myself because I know that actually like 
I should, instead of guilt tripping myself over that bagged spinach, I should be writing to my MP about um, the, I don't know, children's access to free school meals, right? Like that is the change that we need. So it's more about like a kind of restructuring of priority that I found so, so helpful with this year. Yeah, this year has really kind of as well made probably a lot of people realize maybe we don't need as much stuff because I'm looking at my wardrobe and I'm like, I I mean, I'm not going out. <laughs> I don't need a new dress, not for a long time. Yeah, 100%. I think a lot of people have had that realization and I think it can only be a good thing. My only concern is that the kind of fast, fast fashion brands like Boohoo, they've seen an actual increase in sales, um, which I I thought this year was just going to mean that everyone kind of slowed down their consumption of fast fashion, but actually that's not really happened. So that is, that's actually a really big concern. I think some people have had your experience, but then a lot of people hasn't been the same. I don't really know why. I guess it's because we're still able to show off all of our newness online. Yeah. And also sometimes I feel like we have to go easy on others in terms of if someone is really suffering mentally and actually buying something new right now is the only thing that's making their day like worthwhile. It's like, okay, I kind of understand that as well. 100%. And that is why I um, I feel very passionately about that. And that is why I just think, well, why can't there be legislation in place which means that these clothes are being made fairly and ethically so everyone can have access to things that have been made in an ethical and sustainable way rather than shaming individuals which is not what we need right now where's the legislation to mean that that is okay yes I was about to ask you a question about where we can put our energy and I just laughed in my head because remember when I came on your podcast and all I spoke about is like saving my energy and like the crystals I've just bought (laughs) And I was like, God, calm down about your energy. But um, I did want to ask you there about that because on that note of like shaming people, um, I feel like if you're someone in this space, you're kind of an easy target maybe for like people wanting you to be perfect or, you know, I, I even see it with Gina Martin who changed a law and now it's like what she has to draw a circle around herself and be like an angelic individual at all times. Like it's impossible. And I wondered, instead of DMing people going, which to be fair, if you want to do that, that's fine. But we could maybe do something with that that isn't just sort of, you know, telling people off all the time. Do you think? Absolutely. Yeah, I think we really need to move away from this expectation for people to be perfect. I am actually only partly doing the work that I'm doing now because I was shamed into it which is kind of wild I was promoting a plant-based lifestyle on YouTube got called out for wearing fast fashion did some research about fast fashion and here we are so I took it as a positive and it had a really positive impact on me but I do think we need to move away of the of the shaming individuals to be perfect humans so when it comes to fast fashion for example um, if you're not happy with For example, the fact that Mango right now are working with a factory in Myanmar that has made over 750 people, uh, they fired 750 people for requesting clean water. If that makes you feel unhappy, angry, sad, livid, my advice is not to go and call out 
people working in mango for working there or not calling up people who are buying clothes from mango it's to hold the brand accountable now i know this because i've spoken to lots of garment workers and lots of uh, lots of their unions this year i've spent a, a large portion of my time having those conversations and listening to what they want now they are doing incredible work themselves of organizing and unionizing and calling out the brands and making sure this doesn't happen literally just asking for their basic rights but they are doing incredible work what we can do to support that is hold the brands accountable. Social media is such an incredible tool and it means we have direct access with brands. So at the moment today, I'm spending a little bit of time commenting under all of Mango's photos saying, you're talking about community, you're talking about well-being. What about your garment workers? Uh, what's going on there? And it's also making sure that if I, if I'm, I'm, I'm kind of lending my voice in that way to the garment workers in the way that I best can, you can also write to brands directly. You can email them. They're really, really contactable, but that to me is a better use of time. And then, you know, I'm not an economist. I'm not, um, I don't have a PhD in anything. I know that what I'm getting to when I talk about system change is really, really complex. So I'm also spending a lot of time trying to learn as much as I can and trying to read as much as I can. And then hopefully kind of using my platform to people who can communicate that better than I can. But I just think if you feel, I think social media is the most incredible tool. Brands care. They spend millions and millions and millions on their marketing. They care so much about their public appearance. They care when they get called out. They care when their comments are full of people questioning them about their practices. Let's use that because it's a really powerful tool that we all have access to if we have a smartphone. Yes. Oh my God, okay, that's making... My... After this, I'll be going on to Mango's Instagram <laughs> because you're right. And back in the day, people would write angry letters probably and they'd go in the bin. And now it's there. It's like staring them in the face. It can't be ignored. So yeah. And it's. I guess it's like that, that, that thing that people say like in comedy or whatever, when you shouldn't punch down, but you could punch up. Is that yes. the phrase? And it's so you can always say whatever you like, to be honest, about these corporations and not feel bad. Like as in they really are this faceless machine that need to change. So that's that's I love that. Um, last question on the fast fashion uh, topic. And then I'm going to pick your brain about social media and stepping away from it because you're amazing at that. I've only recently been looking into renting clothes and the kind of rental apps. I just wondered your thoughts on it. I know it's kind of like a new thing and people are getting into it, but um, it sounds like a good thing, right? Absolutely. I feel very, very excited about renting and just the direction in which the kind of secondhand pre-existing economy is going. We have enough clothes in the world right now. The most sustainable clothes are the ones that are already in existence and we have enough of them to go around. Um, renting is such a brilliant way to reduce the amount of clothing that we take on and also just to make the most of what's already there. This, there are some incredible sites in the UK 
that are doing their thing and doing it really well. I've had a really, really positive experience when it comes to renting. I actually rented kind of my dancing dress for my wedding. Um, And the reason why I did that is because A, didn't want to ruin my wedding dress, but B, because I knew that I wanted to wear a dress that I was probably never going to wear again. Like I still love that dopamine hit of something new. And sometimes I want to wear stuff that just makes me feel like a kind of, toucan um uh, it's like a snazzy toucan i didn't want to say unicorn because i felt unicorn was quite basic so i went for toucan <laughs> and that's just what came to my mind um and i'm a non-basic toucan <laughs> i'm a non-basic toucan and yeah i just wanted to wear a dress that i was never going to wear again so i rented it and had a brilliant experience um i think it's really really exciting i think there's so much cool stuff happening i'm working with vestia collective at the moment Love they're an incredible them. yeah they're so great they're an incredible resale site the the selection of clothing that they have on there is amazing they order everything um i actually also bought my wedding shoes from there which i've worn so many times i feel really really excited and uplifted about this um and yeah i think if someone hasn't tried renting you know the holidays are just around the corner. I don't know when this is going out, but it's kind of party season. Um, and it's a really good opportunity to, you know, try try it out if you are somewhere where you can showcase a party dress. If you're not somewhere where you can showcase a party dress, you know, you yes. can always take a picture of it, share it on social media. Well, that's the thing. Because one thing I noticed in like the heyday of Facebook, even back in the day, is you didn't really want to be tagged in the same outfit too many times, which is ridiculous. And this awful culture of, you know, the Daily Mail shaming Kate Middleton for wearing the same dress five times in a row, when really we should have been like, you're amazing. Well done. Like you're wearing the same clothes. And I feel like there is still a hint of that on Instagram that you want to be razzling dazzling in a new outfit so the idea that you can do that and be sustainable excites me yeah me too absolutely I completely agree and it's something that I like I like I was talking to you about my career as a tv presenter earlier and I didn't wear the same thing twice and I did a live show four days a week for a year never wore the same thing twice Mm -hmm. there was so much shame around it and I just found it actually the pressure got too much for me and I, I found the OOTD hashtag on Instagram so infuriating and to be honest I couldn't I couldn't keep up I was like I'm not getting free clothes like you are I can't afford all this new clothing I can't afford to have new outfits every day I can't keep up and so I did actually start a hashtag on Instagram a couple of years ago called triple OTD which stands for old outfit of the day and it's literally to encourage outfit repeating but that's also why when I found renting, I was like, oh my gosh, I can have newness again. And I was so excited. Yeah. So yeah, I think it is. I think it's really exciting. Have you tried it yet? Not yet. Not yet. I'm going, I'm going to. I, um, I mean, I really haven't been thinking about clothes for the last six months. I've been wearing the same thing every day, but that's because I'm gross and I'm wearing like the same joggers for like weeks. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I can't wait. I think once I'm going out into the world again, doing events, doing, you know, doing podcasts in person, going for dinners, seeing my friends again, I think I'm just, I, I don't see a way, like I'm not going back basically to the way before. I'm going to make a new start. So yeah, it's really awesome. exciting. Love that. Um, So I'm just going to, switch gears a little bit and talk to you about something that I can't stop thinking about another thing I'm about to try which is your offline weekends that are 48 hours that you challenge yourself to not being online could you talk us through it a little bit and kind of how you've been finding it yes okay so 
I am someone who spends a lot of time on social media and I would argue, in fact, way too much time. And I think it is a powerful tool and it's kind of an unavoidable tool uh, if you use it with boundaries and uh, if you use it rather than it uses you. So about um, almost two years ago, I decided to take a break. It was uh, Christmas and I decided to go off line for a few days and I kind of announced that I would be doing this I'd be going offline for a couple of days it ended up being 10 days I loved it so much my mental health just felt so improved and so I decided to start incorporating it into my week so I started going offline on Saturdays and Sundays as well and I've been doing this for a year and a half now so it's really become a part of my routine yeah and how did you go cold turkey for the 10 days just out of interest I think it was a few things I was at home at my parents it was Christmas it was a very kind of sleepy time and I think I was able to do it I just I, I should also say I did it with my now husband and at the time we were in a long distance relationship and we hadn't seen each other for maybe a month and we were very much in like we were falling in love or we'd fallen in love and so for us it was like we don't need anything but in the outside world we just have each other so I think that was a big part of it we just felt so good after the first couple of days that we decided to keep it up you know, we're married now. We're not in the kind of throes of love in the way that we were before, even though I still obviously adore him. It's a different kind of love. Um, and for me, it's just the knowing how I feel on a Monday morning after 48 hours off. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it sounds pathetic that I'm like, oh my God, tell me more because <laughs> I just, I've never done it. And I know that I've obviously gone without my phone by accident for like maybe a day or, or two, maybe, but to actually incorporate it into my week, oh my, it's just, it will be a challenge. Yeah, it is a real challenge. And I have to say, you kind of notice the kind of drugged up little like rat thing that you are when you come off like on a I turn my phone off on a Friday night and I'm a, I'm jittery I'm a bit like jumpy <laughs> and then it's really really interesting watching my habits over the weekend and what you'll find is you'll be kind of confronted with a kind of certain jitteriness and then you and almost like you don't know what to do with yourself your hands whatever it is and then you just find stuff to do like you you find it's and i think this is the kind of crux of it like we no longer experience boredom and boredom is where creativity lies and that is so so important mm-hmm. i recently actually i watched your talk at the Cheltenham festival which i loved and i also watched dolly alderton's and i dolly talked about how she's had to put really strict boundaries in she's literally changed her passwords and given the her friend and she says it's because it kind of basically stops her creativity and I've noticed that in myself as well and also you know I watch the social dilemma a lot of us have watched the social dilemma we know that these companies aren't ethical and and I also like because I do this as a as my job social media I know that I play, like I'm part of the system. I'm part of this. I play the algorithm. Like I'm using the algorithm to get what I consider really, really important messages out there, but I'm still using it and I'm still a part of it. And that makes me feel actually quite sick. Like I, I know what I'm doing and it makes me feel a bit ill, but I feel like I have to do it in order to get what I want out there. Um, and I kind of hate that. And also 
I've been kind of learning and un- unlearning a lot of things about capitalism this year. And to me, social media and actually specifically Instagram is the is the representation of capitalism. It's all about growth. It's all about you watch you can watch your numbers go up. You can see all of your analytics and all of your insights. It's all just about growth. So taking those two days off for me and two weeks over Christmas, which I'll be doing this year, which everyone is welcome to join me with is my kind of way of just resisting, resisting and resting and kind of reclaiming that time for myself. Oh my God. I love that. That, and it's so practical. It's so helpful. You know, I think people are like wondering what they can do and the fact that you've done this, like, which is quite a clear cut divide and what you've learned from having your time back at the weekends must be amazing. And actually what you just said about being in a bubble with your partner and like being in that bubble of love is like really lovely. But it also made me think that, well, what about like the self-love element? Why not have time for yourself back? Because that's what I feel is like sometimes social media is pulling me away from myself and pulling me away from like my my actual taste or my my interests because I'm like following the algorithm. But I'm with you. I'm with you on knowing how to play the game and how that's sort of part of our jobs, which clashes sometimes of what really what we want to be doing. So some just some kind of quick practical steps that I'd love to share if anyone needs them. Um, I think it's really important to kind of instead of having like a full binge and purge to kind of extend these positive habits throughout the week if you can. So for example, let's like start with our phones on a daily basis, turn your notifications off. I don't have any of my notifications on. I don't even have my email on my phone. Obviously I work from home at the moment, so that's much easier, but my emails are strictly for my laptop. I also try and turn my phone off in the evenings an hour at least before I go to bed. And I try and have that hour in the morning as a kind of sacred time before I turn my phone on at least, right? Like this is kind of a minimum for me. So something that's really, really, really useful to do is turn off your notifications on your phone. And then if you can have an old school alarm clock in your bedroom instead of your phone, so you're not tempted to look at it in the middle of the night, that's really, really helpful. It's just kind of ways to set boundaries throughout the week, which then make it easier to have a phone off or at least have your social media off in the on the over the weekend and then you know you can either turn your phone off which is kind of tricky for some people and also when we're kind of socially distancing it's it's harder to be in contact with people so i think deleting the apps is a really really good step it just means you're not tempted to click onto them yes yes definitely and i wanted to ask quickly actually something that maybe i've been thinking about maybe other people have is unpicking our relationship with feeling like things are urgent all the time because I went away for a weekend recently, turned my phone off and I felt like I needed to WhatsApp like my close friends and my family being like, I'm away. Because I think people panic if they can't get hold of you if you're someone that's constantly on. Yeah. Like, do we need to move beyond that? Like giving people a heads up that we're having a weekend off? Because that's where I was at. To be honest, no, I still do. Like if I'm actually turning my phone off for the whole weekend and I know it's not going to be on at all, I will tell my mum and I'll tell maybe a couple of friends that I will be out of action all weekend. Um, I don't have a home phone or a landline. I think that is a really, really helpful thing to have if you know you're going to have your mobile off so people can contact you in in an emergency. Oh, the return of the landline, yeah. They're great. Or just get an old brick phone. Um, I, yeah, like I said, I've been doing this for almost two years and 
I only in that time, and obviously this is dependent on the individual, but in that time, and I don't have kids, obviously, which is a, which would be completely different. But in that time, I've only had kind of like one emergency situation, which was ugh, the worst. Um, didn't actually end up being my fault, but the the someone in the built in my building that I live in in the basement flat, they had like a explosion of pipes and they thought it was our flat that was causing it but again that per- the person it actually wasn't our flat but the person the landlord managed to get hold of me via like i don't i mean he tried everything i don't even know if i should be telling you this story but basically i think we need to move i think we need to move away from this sense of urgency it is nothing is really that urgent or it rarely is and it's okay not to be contactable it's okay and actually we should actually and i know this is something you talk about all the time we should be stricter with our boundaries there are so many ways we can contact people now like actually let's set some boundaries and let's put some boundaries in place my dms and my instagram sometimes i'm literally like just how do you what like the the nonsense i get sent people literally use me as if i'm google like i'm a search bar when did what when did that become okay it baffles me honestly because i think and hope i respect other people's boundaries quite a bit now and for someone to message me and be like hi emma quick one um can you just send me 10 bullet points on on this thing that i'm going through um just like in the next 10 minutes would be great and i'm like oh what oh wow wow like that is that is that is fascinating that you think that I would do that so I think we just have to like set them and actually I've realized now I used to be someone that replied to emails very very quickly and now and then people expected that of me now I'm someone that I will take like a good three days to get back to people and people then now know that so I think what you're saying makes sense that when you start a habit people start learning it which is great yeah definitely but I should also say that this is something that I am constantly constantly learning and constantly failing at as well i i need to be better with certain things i need to be better with emails and not replying immediately when i'm you know i'm just taking a bit more time and actually i think when we take time and this is what i find when i go offline on weekends i come back with this kind of i'm just much more considered on a monday morning i'll spend more time on emails i'll probably give people more of what they need yeah let's let's lose the urgency because Things just generally aren't all that urgent. Unless you're, you know, Obama. And and even he actually has taken a break now. Um, So last question, I read somewhere on the internet, so it might not be true, that you enjoy cooking and listening to podcasts. And so do I, as some downtime. Do you have any favourite podcasts at the moment that you like cooking to? It's old, but I felt head over heels in love with brown girls do it too have you listened to it i have it was recommended on the high low wasn't it it was recommended on the high low it's brilliant yeah absolutely glorious absolutely glorious um i also love the interviews on awards chatter because i love film i love tv and they always have the best guests on that show um and i also love made if human as well with Sophie Hagen loving that one at the moment but my kind of dream dream interview this is what I'm learning is when people talk celebrities specifically talk candidly about fame and the highs and lows of fame which is why I love awards chatter and it's why I also loved um Sam Smith on the Jamila Jamil podcast don't know if you heard that but that's my like 
favorite thing when celebrities, I get to hear celebrities talking about the highs and lows of fame. Um, but yes, I would say that those are my kind of top three made of human brown girls do it too. And awards chatter. Amazing. Thank you so much. I just think that's a lovely note to end on. And, um, I agree with you about the celebs talking honestly because it's like on awards chatter it's like the it's like the wikipedia page but with all of the failures in as well yeah it's so good it's so good um and talking of great podcasts talking taste buds loving it still and it's getting better and better and um everyone should go and check that out now for more venetia thanks so much and if anyone does want to learn more about fashion and uh the, the kind of system that fashion is built on. I would also like to give a little shout out to the Remember Who Made Them podcast, which is something that I co-founded this year. It's a six-part podcast series all about the fashion industry. And it's a really kind of good entry-level accessible resource to learn about the fashion industry. So do check out Remember Who Made Them. <laughs> <laughs>